This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So, Bree, I remember this one time I was in a bike race around Tucson, and uh, I wasn't paying attention. We were riding down 4th Avenue, and there's railroad tracks, like street track tracks, and my bike's tire like went and wedged in to the railroad tracks, no. and I totally fell down and just like skinned my hands, everything. Ugh. I had nothing with me, nothing at all. And it's that times where you want a first aid product and you have nothing. And <laughs> active skin repair utilizes a molecule called hypochlorous acid. When applied to the skin, the molecule works by mimicking the natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. I've used it on my son's mosquito bites, and I wish I would have had it the time I totally scraped up my hands. Oh, I hear you. Like whenever I go paddleboarding, kayaking, I'm always trying to find something that is like an all-in-one that I can take with me. And active skin repair could be used like that. It can be used to treat cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, which makes it suitable for all skin types, all parts of the body, like eczema and acne-prone skin, all of that. With over 500,000 happy customers, thousands of five-star reviews, and ingredients so safe and clean they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest, you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order. Use code NOGUILT. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast. I am your host, Joanne Crone, joined here by my co-host, Brie Tucker. Why, hello, hello, everybody. How are you? I, I always <laughs> like like to think of the prices right. You're the next contestant on No Guilt Mom. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's funny? <laughs> is we do not practice these, so I'm always waiting to hear how you're going to introduce me. Yeah. It's always like a, is she going to use an adjective? Is she going to do a funny voice? Like, how's it going to be? Yeah, it's like, really a whim thing. On a whim. On hello, a whim. my baby. Hello, yeah. my honey. Hello, my ragtime friend. Well, today we are discussing an issue I get incredibly feisty about. Oh, yes. Like, it's so you posted about this. Actually, yeah. one of our good friends, Tina Payne Bryson, posted about it. Mm hmm. And then you got going with it. And I was over there at my desk going, whoa, I hear a podcast episode. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it is about behavior charts. And as a teacher, I used to use behavior charts in the classroom. And that was about eight years ago. Wow, it was a long time ago. But knowing what I know now, I would never use them again, ever and we're going to dig into why I wouldn't use them again, why they're not that effective and may actually harm your relationship with your kids and may actually harm teachers' relationships with their students, and what to do instead. So essentially, we are going to tell you why you need to stop using these behavior charts stop right now. Just yes. stop it. Just stop. Put the chart <laughs> down and walk away and walk away. <laughs> yeah, so that's what you have to look forward to on today's episode of the No Guilt Mom podcast. If you love listening to No Guilt Mom and how we tell it like it is and help you let go of all that guilt, you might just love the Shameless Mom Academy, a top-rated podcast for moms who are looking to rebuild and maybe even totally reinvent their identity about motherhood. Yes, you are going to just love joining mindset and leadership coach Sarah Dean, one of our good friends. 
every Monday and Wednesday as she and her guests dig deep, and I mean deep, into topics like how to create confidence that you crave and how to turn your struggles into strengths, how to build those better boundaries, and how to make more time for you every stinking day. Sarah is known for her uncanny ability to speak truth to power. And she does. I really admire that about her. It's like she lives inside your head, Brie. She'll make you laugh. (laughs) She'll make you cry. And she'll definitely inspire you to take action in your life. So what are you doing? You definitely need to go check out the Shameless Mom Academy podcast anywhere and everywhere that you listen to us fabulous ladies on the No Guilt Mom podcast. You want mom life to be easier. That's our goal too. Our mission is to raise more self-sufficient and independent kids, and we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to help you delegate and step back. Each episode, we'll tackle strategies for positive discipline, making our kids more responsible, and making our lives better in the process. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. So every time I I see a behavior chart, I cringe. I cringe, Bray. And it's it's almost hypocritical because I used to use one in my classroom. It's funny. If you guys could see her face here, I mean, she, there is so much emotion. And I got to say, like us even writing this podcast outline, there was a lot of emotions there was going fights. on. There were fights, definitely. There is emotion going on in the room. Now, I'm not for behavior charts necessarily the way that they tend to be used. Yeah. I do believe that there is a time and a place for a goal. Yes. And I'm a visual person, so I like those goals to be visual. Oh, yeah. And I can see how people would think that I'm talking about behavior charts. But when we get down to the root of what you're going to hear us talking about today, you're going to see how we took a great idea and we morphed it into something that is just not good people. So I think that goals and behavior charts are really two separate things. They are. When you say goal, I think of, okay, the student or the the child thinks of a goal that they want to work on. And then every day they achieve that goal, they get like a sticker. And it's really self-regulated. The kids are like, oh, did I do it or did I not do it? They have control over it. And it's a very explicitly defined thing. Like you could say at the end of the day, yes, I did that or no, I didn't do that. Whereas behavior charts are are more the judgment of the adults involved. Like the adult sees a behavior and they're like, oh no, you need to go move your clothespin down from the green level to the yellow level. And guys, this is what I did in my classroom. I had a chart in the back of the classroom and every student had a clothespin on it. Everyone started in green in the day. And then if they like talked out of turn during class or did something they weren't supposed to do, they had to move their clothespin down. And you know what happened? The same kids were moving their clothespin down every single day. And I saw no change in behavior whatsoever. And you see that as a teacher and you see that as a parent. You're like, oh my gosh, these kids, they just can't do it. Kids aren't supposed to be able to do it. Like they're not supposed to be able to do it. Kids like who aren't displaying that behavior we like to see in the classroom, things like talking at a turn, maybe it's spitting at a classmate, like if they're really younger ones, maybe it's like talking back to the teacher. Having a kid move their clothespin down is not going to stop that behavior at all. Because the root of the behavior and the cause of the misbehavior wasn't addressed and they don't know how to fix it. 
Right. And so like there, there was a lot there for me to break down. There's too. a lot. Like, I get very feisty. Like, okay. So like I still remember as a child, oh, what grade was I in? I think it was kindergarten. Mm. I got my name put on the board because that was our behavior charts back then. Like I'm sure those of you guys that are around 40 and up remember the whole writing the kid's name on the board. Like that was our behavior charts. That was our public shaming for you doing something it wrong. It was public shaming. And I remember getting my name written on the board. It's still, oh God, I am almost 42 and I still get emotional thinking about the teacher writing my name on the board because I started my letter worksheet before she told us to start. Mm-hmm. I was that anxious to do the assignment because I was so excited about learning that I got punished and shamed, which is part of the thing that like has resonated with me for my whole career of working with parents is the whole, where did we get the idea that in order to make kids behave better, we need to make them feel worse. Yeah. We need to publicly shame them. And that's really what behavior charts are doing. It's a public shaming and the thoughts that, hey, if their behavior is called to attention in front of a group of people, they're going to change their behavior. And that doesn't happen. What happens is the kids who have no problem regulating their behavior, when they make a small mistake like you, Brie, like wasn't even a mistake. I wouldn't even say it's a mistake. Right, right. But when they do something, they feel horrible about it. Like Mm -hmm. so shameful. And the kids who are used to that have learned in the names of, I think, self-preservation to write it off and be like, whatever, I don't care. Like, well, whatever and there's I'm also, in the, and in a lot of cases, what you're mm-hmm. teaching the kids is self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. You're the kid who's going to misbehave in class. And so mm-hmm. they think that they have to misbehave in class. Yeah. Because again, that's the only way they get attention. Yeah. 90% yeah. of the time. Because when they're sitting there all day long and they're working really hard on that self-regulation and they're trying to be quiet and they're trying to follow the rules. And let's say there's a million other things going on in the classroom and the teacher doesn't get a chance to acknowledge it enough to fill that kid's cup. Mm-hmm. They're going to go, okay, right? Yeah. I do get my cup filled with attention when I act out. That was way more effective than me sitting here and being quiet all day. You know, it's funny. It reminds me of a student I had, um, and he came into the classroom midway through the year, and he was the type who you could see he had just this armor around himself when it came to authority. Yeah, you can see those kids when they walk in. You could see it. Yeah. And during one of our reading groups, he just would not stop talking. He'd not stop talking to his neighbors. He'd just be laughing and giggling with the girls. And uh, I asked him, I'm like, hey, um, can you just stay in for a second? I want to talk to you. And I knew that he had armor around him. I didn't move his clothespin down on the chart or anything. But he stayed in. He's like, what? What? And I'm like, I just want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. I want to say, like, I, I wanted to welcome you here. I I know that it's hard moving into a new classroom. And as soon as I started talking to him like that, you could see him soften. Like you could see him just go like his whole body relaxed. And all I said was, I'm like, you know, I ask you to stay quiet during reading groups just so other kids like they can pay attention on their work because it's really hard to pay attention to your work when, you know, other people are talking. Right. He's like, yeah. And he left the classroom. I didn't have any run ins with him. We had a good relationship. There was nothing past that point. If I had just been like, okay, no, misbehavior is not tolerated in this class, move down the clothespin, I think I would have been fighting against him the entire year. Yeah. And I want to say right now to any parents that are listening, you're probably listening to this going, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about the classroom. I'm talking about in my home. Mm -hmm. And when I was potty training my kid, a sticker chart did phenomenal. 
And that goes back to the whole goal thing that you yeah. said before. That is a clearly defined goal. Did you go in the potty? Did you not go in the potty? Yes. Yeah. And that that's a very black and white thing that your kid, you probably even like said to your kid, did you go in the potty? And they probably went, yeah, I totally did. Woo! Yeah. Right? But when you're doing a behavior chart on behaviors in the home. Yes. Talking back, disrespect, that right. kind of thing. You have to think about Again, like what Joanne said in the very beginning, who is making that determination? Is your child involved in the decision-making process of whether or not they did a good job or not at all? Or are you saying, no, you didn't do your best effort. No, I heard some some sass earlier. I heard tone. And I just have to say this for starters. If you're trying to do a behavior reward chart for talking back or sass, mm-hmm. it's almost always going to be faulty. Mm-hmm. Because your kid doesn't entirely get that they have tone sometimes. I mean, come on, let's just be totally frank and honest, people. How many times have you had a conversation with somebody in your life and they said that you had a tone or you were mean or you were rude or disrespectful and you're sitting there in your head going, uh, no, I wasn't. No, because so much of the tone that we see in others really depends on our own personal mental state as well. Yes. And as parents, we're stressed out, we're overwhelmed. So a lot of times we may see our kids tone and think, oh, that's back talk. When really, we might be so amped up that we see this little, little piece of disagreement in our kids. And we're like, no, no, move your thing down on your behavior chart. And I'm going to say something right now that might be not very popular either. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we're the one giving the tone first. Yes. Like we if we're agitated, we don't even realize that and I'll, I'll give an example of something that I fall victim to all the time because I'm a bit of a smart aleck. <laughs> Just a tiny bit sarcastic. <laughs> and I wonder where my daughter gets it from. <sighs> Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Hey guys, Brie here. And let me tell you, April is a killer time of the year for me because it is crazy allergy season. I swear, everything that is in bloom looks fantastic and beautiful, but it makes it so I can't breathe. I am literally coughing, sneezing, rubbing my nose. I look like Rudolph half of the spring. It's terrible. But luckily for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies like I do, we live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can finally breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine is the best decongestant available. It relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I absolutely love it. It is the only allergy medicine that works for me. So if you're ready to live life as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just one quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Hey all, it is Joanne and Bree here and we want to tell you about a podcast that you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Uturbe and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And in this latest season of Understood Explains, it covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and it busts common myths about special education. We actually just listened to the episode, IEPs, Does My Child Need an IEP? And here is what we loved about it. 
I loved that it was so digestible. Like it was such a short episode and all of the topics, which could be really confusing to parents, were easily explained. And I loved how they gave great concrete examples because you know how much I love me a good example. They explained what kind of services and supports you could actually see on a child's IEP or individual education plan. And they explained those acronyms that nothing drives me more crazy than when there's acronyms and I don't get it. I don't know what it stands for. They took the time to explain everything in so much detail and to cover concerns that a lot of families have about special ed services. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains, or just click on the link in our show notes. So if there's something going on, like let's say my kid didn't do their chore putting away the dishes in the dishwasher, Mm -hmm. it is not uncommon for me to walk in and go, huh, gee, look at the dishes in the dishwasher. It would be so awesome if someone would put them away. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And then my kid will come back and go, yeah, it sure would, wouldn't it? Well, not my problem. And then I would go, Excuse me, young lady, watch the tone. I knew which kid you were talking to as soon as you started it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right? So if you really think back, people, come on, reach into that and be totally frank and honest. Nobody has to know you're admitting this because you're probably listening in the car. If you're like me, you're listening in the shower. Have you ever done that? Yeah, I don't do the sarcastic comments. I'm more of the grumpy comments. I'm like, oh, I can't believe I have to do this. <laughs> and like, I'll get you with myself. And then I'll see my kids doing the same thing. Oh, I can't believe I have to do this. And you're like, watch the tone, people. Get and a better attitude, people. Well, I watch them and I'm like, shoot. I mean, somebody told me once that kids are the best mirrors to our own behavior. Because we, it's true. It is so true. Because we see in them what we do ourselves. And when we could step back and be like, oh, shoot, that's me. It's really good to be that self-reflective. It's hard to be that self-reflective, mm-hmm. but it's good. So it's good. Let's talk about why the yes, behavior charts We're going to give work. you guys some legit, real solid reasons for why you need to stop using those behavior charts right now. Yes. So a lot of the problems when kids have trouble behaving is this concept of self-regulation. And self-regulation is the ability to really manage your own behavior, know what's appropriate in either the home or the classroom, and then be able to calm yourself down so that you don't react to those things that normally create the bad behavior, such as like when you get mad, you know to calm down and not yell and scream at the person that you're mad at. Or throw a book. Or throw a book (laughs) or speak in their face. Those are all self-regulation things. So behavior charts, they don't teach the skill of self-regulation. Instead, they rely on public shaming, which is shown not to work in changing kids' behavior. You have to think about it. Like if a kid doesn't know how to calm themselves down when they're angry, Mm -hmm. what is yelling at them for not calming themselves down when they're angry, teaching them? Nothing. Nothing. You're not giving them the skill that they didn't already have. Yeah. So So, I always saw in my classroom, the self-regulated kids were always in the green and the ones who had no or few self-regulation skills who were more impulsive, they were always in the red. Yeah. And that's a lot of what you see. So if you hear this and your child is always coming home from school with behavior in the red, know that it's not so much the child's fault in as much as like they just need to learn the self-regulation skills. It's more of a teaching opportunity than a reason for shame. Yeah. And a big one with that, let's say the issue is more so at school than at home. 
reach out to your teacher, your mm-hmm. kid's teacher, because you can, well, I would say actually back that up. First, talk to your kid like, hey, do you know what happened today? I saw that you got a note saying that you were in the red or you came home and you told me that you were in the red. Do you know what you did? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, what's up? What's up? You can use the I notice statements that we teach in our course, Calm and Happy Parenting. I notice that you have a behavior in the red. What's up? And if your kid legit goes, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, then reach out to the teacher. That's that next step. Hey, can you tell me what my kid did that put them in the red? I'm just trying to help them understand some behaviors, and I need to, ha- to know what happened. And hopefully you'll hear back from the teacher. More than likely you will, because mm-hmm. the teacher's like, oh my gosh, Yes. A parent is on my team. Yay. So like they'll say like, yeah, we had a lot of trouble not talking out of turn. We had a lot of trouble sitting at our desk. We had trouble with X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And then you can help talk your child through step by step, giving them ideas that they can work on. And then also you can do that bridging of also reaching out to the teacher and saying, yeah, hey, these are things we're working on. These are things we're working on. Because when you know an exact behavior that happens again and again, such as like not getting out of your desk, we'll be like, okay, let's think of some ideas and strategies for that. And in that kind of situation, the teacher might need to be involved because for some kids, it's not realistic for them to stay in their desk the entire day. They may need breaks to get up. And that's something that the teacher can be brought in on. Right. And this may not be the best example, but because I have a life experience one, I'm going to share this with my own kid. So if you can't tell, Brie likes to talk. I'm, I'm very, very chatty, chatty. <laughs> and my daughter had the same problem when she was in school. Very chatty, chatty. And, you know, when she was in kindergarten through second grade, every parent-teacher conference, every time I would hear from the teacher, it would be like, your daughter is such a pleasure in class. I love her. She's so bubbly. If there was one thing I wish that she could work on, it's not talking in class. So we talked about it at home and we came up with a plan on something she could do when she needed to talk because she felt like when she needed to talk, it was literally bubbling out of her body and she couldn't hold it in. Is that something you can identify with? Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. She's laughing because I'm like over here just like so <laughs> animated. And she knows, like Joanne knows that when she's doing something and I want to talk to her, I'm like over there and I'm like, oh. <laughs> you can see my mouth getting tight because I'm trying not to let it just blurt out. But I taught my daughter, I was like, okay, well, what's something that we can do to kind of get that physical feeling to come down? And it was tapping her foot. Mm-hmm. So she decided she would tap her foot. And then I let the teacher know, hey, we're working on this. Audrey feels like a, a physical need for it. So when she does, has a physical need for talking, she's going to tap her foot. And it helped her teachers kind of see her and go, okay, yeah, girl's about to explode. She's really got to say something. I'm going to call on her now in class. Or they worked with her on different ways that she could get through it. And mm-hmm. I got to tell you, by second grade, we stopped tapping our foot and we also stopped talking out of turn in class. Yes. And that's an excellent example of how you taught your daughter self-regulation because you taught her to like identify that physical response in her body and then how to let that physical response out. In at, an appropriate way. In an appropriate way. Yeah. Yeah. And that worked. Whereas probably if she had gotten like ones every day, she'd be like, oh, this school thing, it's really not worth it. Right. Exactly. I just don't do well here. So yeah. so that was one thing. So let's talk about what's another thing that behavior charts really don't help. So they don't strengthen the relationship between either the teacher and the student or the parent and the child. Because really, when you're relying on public shaming, every time you shame someone else, your relationship is destroyed a little bit each time. Yep. They learn that you are not a source of comfort. They learn that you're a source of pain, like emotional pain. Shame is emotional pain. And also you have to think about it too. Like if you're the one who is judging whether or not your child is getting this done, 
what message is likely going to your child. And and I'm going to tell you, like, I know the parents, I know moms, this is not your intention. Mm -hmm. But what your child is hearing is my effort isn't good enough. Yeah, I'm not good enough. And it also, like, when we talk about behavior charts, well, where did we get that idea? Probably someone used them with us. Right. And that's that's our method that we go to because we do what we know how to do. And so if you're feeling like, oh, my gosh, I'm horrible because I'm doing this, please don't. Please don't feel horrible because you're only doing what you know. And once you learn new strategies, you could try them out and do better. Right, right. So the big thing is just to ask questions, ask right? Ask questions because when you're Real talking- Real curious questions, by the way. Sorry, not yeah, sarcastic ones. Not sarcastic <laughs> questions because also when you want to strengthen the relationship, you really need to find out the real reasons behind their behavior. Like yeah. you and your daughter, like you found out that she just really needed to talk and it but, was like a physical need. But again, I will tell you, the only reason I was able to drill that down so quickly- was because I knew it. Mm-hmm. I saw it in her and I physically knew myself what that problem was and mm-hmm. I was able to address it. Yeah. It's a lot harder when it's not something that that you see in yourself, mm-hmm. that you don't know firsthand how to come up with it. So that's where you got to ask those questions. Ask those questions. And also it helps to talk to your spouse because your spouse might have some of the behaviors that your child has. I know like with some of the procrastination behaviors and the sleeping behaviors, especially with my daughter, I don't have that. I don't want to stay up late at night. I'm like, it's nine o'clock. It's bedtime. We're done. My husband, however, knows how that feels to like need that time for himself so bad that he will not go to bed until 1 a.m., even if he has to wake up at like six the next day. And just because it's not something that you feel yourself as a parent doesn't mean you still can't help support your child. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can definitely help support your child. It just might take a little longer for you to figure out the the ins and outs of it. Yeah. But asking questions, letting them know that you're on their team and that you believe that they can do this. That means everything. Everything. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now... We're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So, join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. 
let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking It. And one of the other reasons that behavior charts don't work is that you may think like, wait a minute, they do work. They stop the behavior right then. They do work short term. Sometimes. Not all the time. But Mm -hmm. long term, it does not work. You probably find yourself having to discipline for the same behavior over and over and over again. And you're like, why doesn't my kid get this? We're having so many problems with my child right now. She is so like disrespectful and back talks so much. Like, I just, I don't know what to do anymore. And that's because the behavior chart isn't working. Right. And again, what message is your kid getting? Even if it's a short-term gain and then they end up falling off the wagon a little bit later, Mm -hmm. they're learning that I'm not good enough. I can't do this. Mm -hmm. Why do I even try? It's a lot of self-defeating talk. And if you're questioning it at all, come on, dude, you're listening to No Guilt. Mom, (laughs) you have guilt. You have self-defeating talk that pops up in your head too and you want to get rid of it? We're going to help our kids get rid of it. Yes, definitely. And also, when you're talking about behaviors, we want to make sure that we create that open space for our kids to talk to us. And with a behavior chart, they're just going to try to avoid getting caught in any of the behaviors that they're doing. And they won't know the real reason not to engage in them. Another thing to really ask yourself, and this was a hard one for me, is ask what behavior you actually want to change in your kid or what behavior do you want to help them with? For example, my daughter and my son, they both cook dinner one night per week. Mm -hmm. We've been doing this for a few months. Um, My daughter always wants to make grilled cheese and tomato soup. Always. Every week, we have grilled cheese and tomato soup. I'm a little tired of grilled cheese and tomato soup, to tell you the truth. I could see that. Yeah, I'm a little yeah. tired of it. So I was talking with my husband, and we're like, how can we get her to add more variety to it? And I was like, well, what if we ask her just to include a protein each time? Or why don't we ask her to like change up her menu items each time? And he stopped me, and he's like, wait, what are we actually trying to teach her here? And I had to really think about it. And what I wanted changed was my own preferences. I was not happy. You were tired of grilled cheese and tomato soup. I was tired of grilled cheese and tomato soup. But our long-term goal with these dinners is, number one, I want her to be able to cook for herself so that she's able to, you know, maintain a healthy lifestyle and feel very self-sufficient. And number two, I want her to be able to contribute to the family. So the main issue is that I just want to make sure that she knows how to cook other meals. Okay. (laughs) And our solution was now whenever I see her and it's my turn to make dinner, I just ask her to come and help me in the kitchen. And I'm like, hey, can you just come help me? Like last night it was de-seeding tomatoes. Can you come help me just de-seed these tomatoes? And she was there and she was helping and it was together and it was a great time to chat as well. But using that method to change the behavior and seeing how I could go about it another way was much more effective than being like, you need to include this with your dinners. What I'm hearing (laughs) out of that was that you're helping her feel more comfortable so that she will be willing to explore and move out of her comfort zone eventually. Mm -hmm. And just because I know you, I'm going to guess that if she says to you, when you say, can you help me? She says, no, I can't. I'm doing something. You probably go, okay, that that's cool. 
Hopefully okay. next time. Yep. You know, right? You I don't do. yell at her. You don't you don't go, no, I said come and help me. I don't yell at her. And uh, she also knows that we always help her with her dinners, like at the end with the grilled cheeses especially. Yeah. Uh, and so since we help her with her dinners, she's always willing to come help us with our dinners. See, and that's a big factor too right there. So, and there's one thing we have in our notes that I definitely want to hit on here. Like we talk about intrinsic motivation. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that it's a very important thing to note about this. And it was, we did talk talk a lot about intrinsic motivation with one of our favorite guests. We have a two-timer and a one-timer there together. Like we have Ned Johnson and okay, I always Dr. say Dr. William Stixford. I always say Dr. William's last name wrong. Yes. Okay. So anyways, they were recently on the podcast and they we talked about how you can't and that's another thing about these behavior charts. They give you a false sense of hope as a parent, man. They do, yeah. They make you think that you can control your kids' behavior. By having a chart and you can't. Having expectations. I put that in there quotes you go. because that is something that we see thrown around a lot. You need to have strong expectations. It doesn't mean what you think it means. <laughs> expectations when it's only one-sided from the adult, it won't work. Kids right. will fight against it. Having strong expectations is having basically your values and you communicate with your kids frequently about these values, but they also get a say in it too. Like it's a back and forth conversation where it doesn't happen right away. It's not a my way or the highway. It's, hey, I believe this. This should be the way you do it doing forward. But let's talk about this. What is preventing you from doing this? What are your roadblocks to this? And I can tell you, it really does go miles with your kids because Mm -hmm. they are like, okay, you're actually listening to me. They open up more. I mean, this works for teens. I do have to say when I say like, what are your roadblocks to this? What's preventing you from doing this? This is me talking to a teenager. Right. Now, me talking to a little kid would be like, hey, like, what's stopping you from doing this? What's making it hard? What's making it hard? Like, that would be better language for a little one. Yeah. And if they even say like, I'm afraid to do it. Okay, well, what what are you afraid of? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about this. Let them know like, I just want to hear your thoughts. I just want to be able to help you. I'm not mad. Not mm-hmm. like sometimes with the younger kids, you have to say that or if whatever age kid, if you if this is a whole new format for you, you're going to have to say to them, like, you're not going to get in trouble. I'm not mad. I'm just here to help you mm-hmm. and letting them know that it's a safe place to say whatever it is they want to say. Yeah. So a big thing is to remember is that you're trying to build intrinsic motivation. You don't want to be there nagging them 24-7. And intrinsic motivation is that motivation inside them that they want to do it instead of somebody outside saying like, if you do it, I'll give you a reward. And if you don't do it, public shaming. That's extrinsic motivation. And intrinsic motivation is this desire to do stuff on your own. Yes. So we're going to kind of recap here. So In order to get you to ditch those behavior charts, like right now, these are the things that that you really need to make sure that you're doing. You need to make sure that you're having those conversations, right? Yes. Building on those relationships, letting your kid know what it is that you're actually concerned about. Mm -hmm. You might have to drill down. Yes. To figure it out. Like you you gave the story about the dinner thing. The dinner thing. You might have to figure out exactly what is bothering you about the situation. If you need any help doing it, writing works really well for me because it slows down my brain enough that I could get everything out. But also talking with somebody about it, you could help yourself figure out what bothers you as well. Right. And that conversation means that you guys are talking. It's it's a two-way conversation with your kids. Mm -hmm. How to get to where you guys need to go. Yep. And you want to ask your kids how they think 
they can achieve the goals. So if you're getting a lot of disrespect from your child right now, you might just want to talk with them. You'd be like, hey, I noticed that when I ask you to do this, you respond in a disrespectful tone. And if the kid is six or seven, they may be like, what does that mean? What is that? Or they might look at you blank. Oh, you know what? I, <laughs> my favorite statement that I have used since my kids were little, and I still use it, and it really resonates with them, mm. is the way that you said that really hurts my feelings. Yeah, that's a good one. The way that that was said really hurt my feelings. I want to say, though, like, don't ever be worried about wording something the correct way. I use a lot of language that my kids do not understand at first. And when I don't get a response from them, that's usually my clue that, okay, I use something that they don't understand. And I'll ask them, I'll be like, do you know what disrespectful tone means? And they'll be like, nope. And I'm yeah. Like, okay. That's great. That's let a me, great point. Let me, let me go back a little bit because as adults, we tend to do that. And I don't ever want you to lower your language expectations based on what you think that your child can understand. Instead, say it like you say it, check for understanding, and then go back and say it a different way. Yeah. You got to remember, too, when you're doing this stuff, your kid may not have a skill like you just said, and they may not understand what you're saying. They may not totally understand how to empty the dishwasher, and that's why they're having an issue with it. Maybe they're too embarrassed to tell you, I can't reach the second shelf where the plates go, and I'm mm -hmm. afraid they're going to fall and I'm going to break them. They're too afraid to tell you that. So you need to like assess it. What are the skills they need? Maybe we need to go buy a step stool for the kitchen. This all sounds very complicated, Brie, much more complicated than using a behavior chart. Is that yes. okay? Yes, it is. Yes. Because the behavior chart isn't working, people. It's not working. It's this not working. And you know, this is another big one I have to throw out there. Yeah. Keep your goals realistic, people. Mm -hmm. Expecting your child to be able to change huge behaviors. And, I, and I'm blanking on an example right now of something huge. But like expecting your child, oh, I know. Let's say your kid every day is talking back and fighting with their siblings and just being very angry in the house, mm -hmm. you can't expect your child to just suddenly be calm. Yeah. You need no. to break it up. It's going to take a few a few years for that one, actually. Yeah. But you will see little highlights along the way that it is going in the correct direction. And focus on one skill at a time, right? Yes. Let's focus on one issue. So if there is one takeaway from this episode, I hope that you have discovered why behavior charts don't work, and instead start asking your kids the whys behind their behaviors. That is going to take you so far. If you do nothing else, start asking the kids why. Or not, well, we don't say why. If you say like, why did you do that? Kids are like, I don't know why I did that. Yep. Yeah, I get a lot. <laughs> it's <enough>. really just <laughs> drilling down and figuring out, okay, so they had a disrespectful tone. What happened in that situation? And I usually ask myself, what happened right before that disrespectful tone happened? And that gives me the space to start questioning, hey, like, are you angry? What's making you angry? That yeah. sort of thing. And then always remember, give them some praise for the progress, people. Yeah. We all, we all need those. I call them my pats on the head. Yeah. Good girl. Good girl. No, kids really <laughs> no. need it. They yeah. need to know what they're doing right. We need to have, like, everybody's like that. Like, we were just talking about this today. Like, I'm trying to lose some weight. I need to see that progress. I need to hear the good things to be able to keep moving forward and having that motivation. Your kids are the same way. Kids need it too. So remember, the best mom is a happy mom. Take care of you. And we will talk to you later. Thanks for stopping by.
hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.